Let's pray. Father, truly bless the reading and preaching of Your Word. Help us to learn what it means to abide in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. I pray in His name. Amen. I'll tell you now, this, there will be a third sermon on this passage uh, next week. Uh, but we are going to look at um, what it means to abide with Jesus Christ or in Jesus Christ. There's a general feeling that God has turned His back on our nation and we certainly deserve it if He has, but it's impossible for us to know what He's doing since His judgments are unsearchable and His decisions are beyond tracing out. But we can know with absolute certainty that God will never, ever turn His back on the church. That He will never, ever leave His people. And our confidence is so strong because the Bible says that we are united to Jesus Christ. This was the subject of last week's sermon. And the essence of this assurance that we are united to Christ is found in John 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. So Jesus is not just walking beside us. He's in us. He dwells in us. He has taken up residence in our soul. And we are in Him. We dwell in Him. He's in us. We're in Him. There's a oneness that we have with Jesus Christ. This connection is so essential so fundamental that if the branch were, be, were to be disconnected from the vine, the branch would wither and die. This idea of Jesus dwelling in us and we in Him is called by the theologians the doctrine of, the, of union with Jesus Christ. And we're united to Jesus Christ by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He binds us he unites us to Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives physically in our soul. Among other things we learned last week, our union with Christ points to God's great love for us. He's committed to us. Committed to us even to the point that He has made our heart His home. If you will look with me at verses 1 and 2, you're going to see that God's, lo God's love for us causes Him to prune us. Jesus says, I am, the vine, I am the true vine, and My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in Me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear even more fruit. Hebrews 12 says that because God loves us so much, He disciplines us as a father disciplines his child. 
Hebrews 12.6 says, The Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. And so God prunes us because He loves us. He's making us more like Jesus Christ through this pruning because He so loves us. He knows that what is best for us is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the term sucker shoots? Or that may be a southern euphemism that I'm bringing with me from Georgia. Uh, sucker shoots are branches that grow out of, out of a tree or out of a vine. And they may sprout leaves, they may sprout many leaves, but they will never, ever bear any fruit. They only serve to utilize the sap that would otherwise go to the important branches. And if these sucker shoots are not removed, they'll end up taking up the strength of the sap. They'll end up reducing the fruitfulness of the branches. And so God comes in our life and He prunes away the sucker shoots that limit our fruitfulness. He cuts away our sins. He cuts away our idols. He cuts away our worldliness. Because these things limit our spiritual fruit. These things stunt our growth in Christ. Limit our growth in Christ. Our sins that have become dear to us, these sins are like sucker shoots that divert our attention away from Christ. That divert our strength away from our growth in Christ. They just divert our desires away from Christ. They come and fill our desires. And our desires from, for Christ uh, wane as a result. They stunt your growth. They hinder your fruitfulness. So what are the sucker shoots in your life that you need to expose to the vine dresser's shears? What are the sucker shoots in your life that you need to have for God to lop off? God's a skillful vine dresser. And skillful vine dressers, they do also not only the, the big lopping off but they also do precise pruning on those branches that are bearing fruit. They know exactly where to cut these branches in order that um, they can narrow the focus of the sap so that the strength, it strengthens the quality of the fruit. And God does that as well. Often God will use the pruning shears of suffering to prune us. That's why James 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into trials of various kinds. Or Paul. Paul says he rejoices in his suffering. And the reason why he rejoices, and the reason why James tells us to consider it pure joy, is because they knew that uh, God is doing something good in us when He sends suffering our way or when He causes us to fall into various trials. How do you look at trials and problems in your life? Do you respond to suffering with 
self-pity or with fear and complaining? Or do you trust that it is God's pruning in your life because He loves you so much? Maybe you understand that God sent the trial, but maybe you're unsure that He knows what He's doing and where He's cutting. Maybe you question God and ask with a demanding tone, Why me, God? Or why now, God? Or why are you doing this again, God? So how do you respond to to the trials that God sends into your life as Christians who have a loving God, who is the, the, the expert vine dresser, We must embrace the absolute goodness and sovereignty of our God as we consider our sufferings and our trials. He's a master vine dresser. And every trial, whether great and painful, or whether, however insignificant they may be, every trial is perfectly crafted by God for our needs to address where we're at in our growth in Christ. And He does this to produce more fruitfulness in our lives. It's also important for us to recognize that God does not always um, do His cutting uh, and His pruning in our lives to cut away sin. Sometimes He prunes us simply to improve our fruitfulness. I'm sure there have been many times in your life, as in mine, where your grip on Christ tightens. You embrace Him more more definitively when there's suffering in your life. And you grow in Christ as you do that. And so it may not be because of a sin in your life. It just may be that God says, this is a time that I want you to grow. This is a time that I want you to become more fruitful. And so He sends His pruning into your life. Additionally, it's important for us to remember that the pruning is a constant process. It's not just done once. He does it again and again and again. He addresses an area of your life and addresses it again. He may address it once and then come back later and address it again. He may be addressing several areas of your in your life all at once. But there is a constant pruning that's going on. God is constantly working in our lives to make us more fruitful. And that's why the Bible often connects teaching about uh, how we are to respond to trial by talking about perseverance. Because we will often have to go through times of sustained pruning. Or we may have to go through the same kind of pruning again and again. And it takes perseverance on our part. And so we will have to trust God and persevere through many trials in our life. What I'm driving at is I want to encourage you, exhort you. Don't begrudge God's pruning ministry in your life. 
Embrace God. Embrace His good providence in your life. And you can remember that God is working in you. It will help you to, to uh, look past the pain of the pruning. As you keep your eyes on the goal, your fruitfulness, your growth in Christ. How does God prune us? Well, sometimes He uses suffering. Uh, he always uses His Word to prune us. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, He says, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. This word for clean in verse 3 is the same word for prune in verse 2. So we could read uh, verse 3 as Jesus saying, Already you are pruned because of the Word that I have spoken to you. Translators decided to do us a, a favor by translating it differently to increase our understanding. What Jesus is saying is that you are already pruned if you are in Him. There's a pruning that takes place. A circumcision of your heart when you come to Christ. There's a cutting away. There's a repentance of sin that, that happens as you embrace Christ by faith. You turn away from your sins. There's a pruning that God's doing immediately. And so Jesus is saying, you've already experienced pruning because you are already in Me. So you're going to experience more pruning because God loves you. And He's not satisfied to leave you where you are. He wants to make you more like Christ. Amen. And this pruning knife, He says in verse 3, look, look at it again, Already you are clean. Why? Because of the Word that I have spoken to you. God's pruning knife is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God cleanses us of sin and it makes us more fruitful. Charles Spurgeon gives us some wise advice. Uh, regarding how we should respond to God's Word as He uses it as pruning shears in our life. Spurgeon said, The Word is often like the knife with which the great husbandman, husband, husbandman is another word for vine dresser, so which the great husbandman or, or vine dresser prunes the vine. And brothers and sisters, if we were more willing to fill the edge of the Word and to let it cut away something that may be very dear to us, we should not need so much the pruning by affliction. It is because that first knife does not always produce the desired result that another sharp tool is used by which we are eventually pruned. So what he's saying here is receive the Word joyfully. Let the Word of God have its work in your life. Don't resist the Word of God because you are cherishing some sin in your life. He's saying let the Word have its, have its work in your life so that God doesn't have to send the second pruning shears, the, the shears of affliction. Unfortunately, not all people who claim to be Christians bear fruit. In verse 2, Jesus said that there were two kinds of branches that are in me. So look again at verse 2. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, 
He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. That's striking to me. There's a branch, Jesus says, that is in Him, but it doesn't bear fruit. He says He takes that branch and He takes it away. These two branches correspond to different, two different kinds of believers. There are fruitful believers and there are fruitless believers. This is confusing where Jesus says that there are fruitless branches that are in me. It's, it's, it's confusing because of verse 6. So look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It is clear that a fruitless branch is cut off and thrown into hell. That's what he's saying. Does this mean that a person can be in Christ and yet be cut off from Christ? This does not mean that a true Christian can lose their salvation. It does not mean that a person who really trusts in Christ can be disunited from Him. I think most directly here, Jesus is teaching His disciples about Judas. Judas, by every appearance, was a believer in Christ. He was one of the twelve disciples. He followed Jesus for three years. He even went out and did miracles in Jesus' name. But the Father, the true vine dresser, had just locked him off because Judas was not bearing spiritual fruit. And so he sent him away to be the betrayer of Jesus. But Jesus wasn't talking of Judas exclusively here in verse 2 and also in verse 6. Uh, in John chapter 2, verse 23, there were many people who were said to believe in Jesus. It says in, in uh, John 2.23 that they believed in Jesus' name. Yet Jesus would not entrust Himself to them because He knew that they were not true believers. And also, but, but at, at, at that moment, back in John chapter 2, it seemed like these people were in Christ, like they were believers. But Jesus knew better. In John chapter 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000 and preached uh, to the crowd, those 5,000 who were called His disciples turned away and left Him. And so Jesus, uh, the Bible says, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So they were called Jesus' disciples, yet they turned back and rejected Jesus. They were branches that possibly bore many leaves, but like a sucker shoot, they bore no fruit. And they turned away from Jesus. And there are many other passages. Uh, time limits us. Um, but what these passages are teaching us is that there are people who confess Christ, people who look like Christians because of some of their activities, and may look like a Christian for a long period of time, and yet the entire time be false disciples. Matthew seven twenty-one through 23 
Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of his Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do many good works in your name? Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They're saying, Lord, Lord. They're doing miracles in Jesus' name. They're doing good works in His name. But they were never truly connected to Jesus Christ. And that's what He means when He says, a branch in me that does not bear fruit. They never were really believers in Christ. John Piper says there's a kind of, of attachment to Jesus. A kind of disciple. A kind of believing that is not saving Piper's point is that true conversion is not measured by a person's decision to follow Christ. Rather, God measures the the authenticity of your conversion by your fruit bearing. If there's no fruit, it means there is no life. Many attend church regularly. Many know all the right answers to the questions. Many give generously in the offering plate and faithfully go through all the religious motions. But if they are not bearing fruit, God will remove them. I don't normally bring in uh, visual aids, but I brought in some loppers this morning. The, this is not a precision instrument. This is, you put it up on a branch right close to the tree and you lop it off. And the, the handles are so long to, to give you the torque that you need to lop them off. This is not a precision instrument. This is used for lopping off. And that's what God says. He says that He lops an unfruitful person off. And they are cast down to the ground and thrown in the fire and burned because they are useless. This is a little bit more of a precision instrument. It's not really much. I couldn't find the little handheld um, uh, shears that uh, are used for, for real precision. But that's what God does in a believer's life. Right where we need to be cut, He'll cut us. He'll prune us. But God lops off everyone who bears no fruit. So are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is your faith in Jesus Christ genuine? Are you attached to the true vine? Are you attached to Jesus Christ? As I said last week, there's no life unless you are attached and united with Jesus Christ. He is the the life-giver. Without Him, we can do nothing. So a branch is nothing without the vine. The branch draws all its strength from the vine. We can do nothing apart from the vine. 
A branch grows through its connection to the vine. Likewise, we need to remain connected to Jesus Christ. This is, this is what Jesus means when He says that we need to abide in Him. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, Abide in Me, and I in you. First of all, He's already said that we are abiding in Him, or we're connected to Him, we're united to Him. That's verses, um, um, verse, verse 5. We looked at that earlier. But now he's, he's giving in the active voice. He's saying, but we have to actively abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We'll look at this verse uh, next week. We'll also look at verses 9 and 10 next week. As the Father has loved me, so I, uh, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And so Jesus is talking about abiding, 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 abiding in Him. As we abide in Christ, our Christ-like character begins to grow. And abide, when he says abide with me, what he means is stay with me, stay connected to me, remain in me, follow me. This word abide is in the active voice. It's something that we are expected to do. It's different from our union. It grows out of our union with Christ. No matter where you are in your walk with Christ, if you are a Christian and you have not been walking obediently to Him, or if you have not been fellowshipping with Him as you should and as you could, that does not change the status of your union. If you are a Christian, you are united with Christ, no matter where you're at. But there's also a sense in which, though you unioned with Christ, you may not be abiding the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, when you go and visit a prostitute, you are uniting Christ with that prostitute because you are union with Him. When you sin, you're bringing God into it because you are united to Him. But at that moment that you're sinning, you're not abiding in Him. Do you see the difference? The union is continual. The abiding can be broken for a time. How do we abide in Christ? Communion with Christ requires our coming to Him. It requires our meditating upon Him. Meditating upon who He is and what He's done for us. It, it, it requires us making use of the means of grace, of reading His Word, so that His Word can be have its pruning effect. So that as we take the Lord's Supper, we commune with Him. Uh, as we fellowship with each other in the church, we're also communing with Christ. These are ways that we abide. 
These are things that we are responsible to do. We're to pray. Pray for for our fruit bearing, that we would be fruitful. So there's all these things that we should do, but at the same time, and this is what's confusing, and this is what I really want to drive home before we end, is that our fruit comes from abiding, not striving. It comes from abiding in Christ and not struggling. It comes from trusting Christ uh, for His power and resting in His love. But because we are connected to Him, we are also to strive and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we are to do that within the framework of our uh, and, and the trust that we are connected to Jesus Christ. That as we are connected, the sap, if you will, the power of the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Um, so we, are to, we bear genuine fruit simply by staying close to the vine. Simply by communing with Christ. We don't need to worry about our fruit bearing. It will pop out naturally. Branches that are healthy, they're going to bear fruit. It do, the branch doesn't have to work to bear fruit. It's the sap doing all the work. It's the, 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 the vine pulling up the, the nutrients from the earth and moving them out into our lives. The fruit will take care of itself. Trust in Christ. Commune with Christ. And there will be that abiding. We need to close. Let me give you this last exhortation. Jesus loves fellowshipping with His people. He loves, He's commanding us to abide because He loves our fellowship. We saw it last week. As the Father loves Jesus, in the same manner Jesus loves us. Abide in Him. Yes, we remain sinners. The, the proof of that is we have ongoing pruning in our life. But you can remain in Him. Abide in Him. Have that fellowship with Him that is close. You know people who have that kind of relationship with Christ. You look and you go, do they ever have a downtime? Do they ever turn their back on Christ for a moment? I thought about several people in this congregation, men and women, that I know who have this abiding relationship with Christ. And I had several people in mind, and I was going to look and see who wasn't here this morning to use them as an example so I would not embarrass them with them being here. Sylvester Pittman is home taking care of his wife and their new child. So I'm going to use him as an example. There's a man who abides with Christ. There's a man who walks with Christ. And you see it and you go, does he ever stumble? Well, of course he stumbles. And he also receives the pruning. But he abides in Christ. And this is what Christ is urging us. Abide in Christ. And uh, you will be fruitful. Let's pray together. Father, 
this passage has so much depth in it. Uh, we're talking about the vine and the branches, and there's there's so much that we can consider as we talk about the root, as we talk about um, how we abide. We've only scratched the surface, but oh Lord. We've been reminded of Jesus Christ. Help us to focus on Him. Help us to commune with Him. Lord, we have one of the means of grace uh, here before us in the uh, Lord's Supper. We have the communion of saints. We've had the reading and preaching of Your Word. We've had the worship of God. All these means of grace to help us abide in Christ. So strengthen us in our abiding relationship with Him. Father, even use um, suffering in our lives and help us to welcome it, that it might excite the, um, the, the, the spiritual growth in us, that it might make us more fruitful, showing ourselves to be Your disciples and bringing You glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.